Welcome to Startup Start Now podcast with your host, Sharina Shiv, a podcast aimed to showcase real and relatable entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and their mentors all living in the UK. Welcome to episode 55, everyone. I hope you guys are keeping really well. So when I decided to start the podcast, I was like really clear that I wanted to showcase entrepreneurs from across the board, not just your tech startups, not just your VC-backed startups, not just your kind of high street household names. I wanted to really expose innovation and creativity in all of its forms. And I am so excited that this week I am joined by Margaret and Scarlett, mother and daughter, who have really been able to take a cause that is close to their heart and not only build a charity, but also a business um, through this and the change that they're making in this country and actually the world. Um, So Debate Make Group is a social business with two different components. The first one is the charity side for Debate Mate Schools. And then the second one is the business side of Debate Mate Limited. And what they do is they teach confidence, communication, leadership and they do that in the classrooms and then they also from the business side develop people in the boardroom and Margaret started the business back in 2007 and at that point it was set up as the charity and her aim was to reduce the poverty improve sort of social mobility at the time tackle racism and all through the kind of education system and they started with 200 students in London and now have reached over 125,000 young people in nearly 100 countries and then her daughter Scarlett who's actually grown with the business seen it from scratch has helped sort of lead the digital pivot during Covid and it's been incredible you know amazing today to hear their story she has also been listed for many awards from women of the future uh, and that was both of us last year and then also goldman sachs and actually scarlett saw me at asian women of achievement awards and sent me a lovely little linkedin message afterwards and that's how we connected and i got to understand by going to one of their breakfast meetings how debate may operate they had students there showcasing the ability of debating but anyway i could ramble on about how amazing they are for ages i want you to get in listen to the episode as always if you do please leave a five star rating on apple Podcasts and spotify enjoy the episode so welcome to startup start now scarlett and margaret how are you both doing today Really good, thank you. The sun is shining. For once. (laughs) Nice, yes. Still cold though, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I'm very excited to chat to you both today. I've been very lucky to come to one of your debate mate breakfasts. So yeah, excited to hear more about how the journey started and all the amazing people you've gone on to help. Um, So on the podcast, we always like to start with early days. So Margaret, I would love you to go first. Can you tell me a bit about where you grew up and what you were like in school? Okay, I grew up in Queensland, Australia. My dad was an immigrant from Ireland, very poor family. Um, Went to Australia at age very young, a young child. And um, I, you know, I just, I went to a a local Catholic school. My parents didn't really believe that educating girls was important. Um, We were there as really just to babysit us. I was one, my parents had six children in six years. And so it was really just the question always for my parents of finding peace and quiet. So going to school was a way of getting us out of the house. So that was it, but I was good at school. it was a school like which I think would be probably put into special measures here. It'd be mm. closed down. There are 55 in a class. There were holes in the floor. Snakes came up through the floorboard. Wow. One, one book between 10, every third page was ripped out. And it was a lot of praying. Um, so that sort of thing. But also a lot of sport. We were mm. all, we all played a lot of sport. And that was really my – and I, but I loved it. I loved school. I excelled. Uh, any subjects stood out to you? 
Well, I loved English and maths. They were my they were my subjects. I loved everything. I just loved the whole thing of being there. Amazing. And then did you end up going to uni? I went to uni. I went to a very strict Catholic, what I call a fundamentalist Catholic school. So the Catholics were on one side of town and the Protestants were on the other. Irish, mm. big Irish community. And we were told not to go to University of Catholics because that's where the Protestants went. So we had to pray every day for one of three vocations, to become a nun, uh, to become a teacher, a Catholic teacher, or the worst one was to get married and have Catholic children. But going to university was not something that we ever discussed. It was just simply not on. Mm. But then I went to university. I wanted to go and see what the Protestants are up to. And that was the beginning of a wonderful journey for me. And how did that go down with your family? Well, they were very, my mother actually wasn't a Catholic. So she secretly thought that was, and I was clever, that it was probably a good idea. Mm. But very working class people always want their children to become a doctor or a lawyer, preferably a doctor, preferably a doctor. Mm. So they said I could actually go to university if I studied medicine. So I said I would do that, and I just lied because I was never going to study medicine because I didn't do the right subjects. I didn't like blood. I was just not a doctor type. Yeah. Uh, I actually enrolled in maths and English and then realised that my best friend, who was doing pure liberal arts, was all, all the best parties, like university was the best fun. So I left maths and did English and psychology and then followed up with a law degree. Amazing. And at what point, so did, did you then study law in Queensland as well, or did you move over to the UK? No, no, I, I was very keen. My mother was was not from Queensland. She was from Melbourne. She was very keen that I left Queensland because it was so backward and um, full of rednecks. You know, the, the head of mm. the law faculty, they only had three, I think, females in the whole law faculty. And uh, my mother said, go and talk to him about studying law. So I went and, and he said, well, you're a girl, um, girls who come into the law faculty, we make them have 75% to pass. Right. And I, said, I said, well, I've always got like more than that. That's fine. Not a problem. What have the boys got to have? He said 50%. He said, we always make the girls have 75% because they're only here looking for a husband. Oh my and, goodness. And I went and told my mother that and she said, you're getting out of Queensland. You're going to Melbourne university, which was considered and still is considered like, excellent university and I thought yippee this is my chance here's a chink in the armor I can get out mm. and what I really did want to do was come to London so I thought if she'll agree for me to go to Melbourne London here I come it was only a matter of wangling and conniving and making a plan and I ended up in London and why was London on your radar out of the whole of the world? Everyone I loved, it was Australia was full of a brain drain, but everybody amazing went to London from Australia, mm. everybody. And I had, I was passionate about the theatre. That's all I wanted to do was be an actress. And the theatre was amazing in London. And I had a fantastic drama teacher at university who taught at RADA here in London. And she came to Australia to teach. And she just filled me full of this passion and stories and love for London. Amazing. So then you went on to become a barrister. Tell me about your 20 years working in commercial law. Well, I became, I became, I was always one for fighting the great fight and um, fighting for the underdog and um, a burning sense of justice, which I got basically because of my Irish background, but combined with the fact that I was one of six children, but number four. So I had three older brothers and two younger sisters. And I was always in the middle of this. The boys got their own way and the girls didn't. So it was always a question of fighting, fighting for the underdog. And I've always done that. Amazing, amazing. And what we'll do before we get on to debate, mate, I'd love to hear a bit more from you, Scarlett. So it's quite funny how we both got connected via LinkedIn. So I'll let you share that story. Um <laughs> I think it was a bit more insidious than that. I think I slid into your DMs. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, a full transparency, huge fan of uh, of your podcast and uh, obsessively listen to all the episodes. Um, I love your mission and I love the way that you interview your guests and you get amazing guests. So yeah, I, uh, I messaged you on Instagram and thought you would love debate, mate, and invited you to an event. So yeah, I slid into your DMs in that very creepy but not so creepy way <laughs> there we go and it works and we went yeah we were able to meet up after that so yeah thank you so much and actually then when I 
was able to learn more about what you guys do, you hooked me in. <laughs> so similar question to yourself. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up um, and also what you enjoyed studying? So I had a completely different upbringing to my mum. I'm an only child. I grew up in southwest London. Uh, had a very privileged upbringing. Um, went to really academic all-girls schools from a very young age. Um, went to boarding school for secondary school. Um, had absolutely everything thrown at my education. Um, I did every extracurricular. I did every thing, weekend camp, holiday camp um I I loved school as well I really enjoyed it I struggled quite a bit with school um I was very always very bright but um dyspraxic quite heavily dyspraxic um which is a lesser known learning difficulty um I think it's there's more awareness of it now but it was um it wasn't as known when I was younger and it really affected my academic performance um and therefore affected my confidence um but mum being my mum I identified that very early on and I had a lot of help for it so I had a very very different upbringing to mum but um it wasn't really until I started doing debating as an extracurricular that everything changed for me because I was always very bright but kind of struggled to um have my academic grades reflect my intelligence and so Mm. often I wasn't in the top set wasn't doing any of that and I was quite disengaged from sort of yeah frustrated because I knew I could do better I just didn't know how um and uh and so often would talk back in class often would disagree with teachers have a have a huge and still have this that I definitely got this from mum a huge issue with authority I hate being told what to do hate it Mm. Um, so all that being said, a, a teacher's worst nightmare because I was quite, quite disruptive in, in class. And, um, one of my, one day in, uh, year nine, so I was 13 or 14, I was again being quite disruptive. And, uh, my history teacher who I adored told me, um, if I kept going, I'd have to go to t- detention again. Um, which mum had told me the last time I was in detention that she would be taking away my phone and not letting me do whatever it was I wanted to do. Uh, if I did it again, so I was like, oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Is there anything I can do? She said, well, um, come to debating club. And I was like, no way. Only losers do debating. Like that's just mm. not what I want to do. They're all like going to be politicians and that's just not my thing and she was like no honestly I think you'll love it I think it'd be really good for you so um I persuaded my best friend Charlie to come with me and we went to debating club and it just transformed everything like overnight I just completely fell in love with this activity where I was being asked to give my viewpoint on things encouraged to to sort of disagree but Mm. also given points for being uh strategic and uh I just thought it was amazing and within like literally three weeks my grades went up I was able to use the techniques I'd learned in debating and transform them to my kind of day-to-day academic subjects Mm. and I discovered this whole world beyond my kind of very sheltered privileged um upbringing and I just loved it so um yeah debating was probably single hand well was single-handedly the best thing I did at school um I then went I moved school for sick forms I went to a very very academic girls uh boarding school which I hated (laughs) absolutely hated it but I did a lot of I was still doing a lot of debating and that was kind of the thing that I um I stuck to and um and then yeah when I left boarding school I went I studied Arabic for a year so I didn't take a gap I took a gap year but I was very yeah I was very resolute I didn't want to go and do a kind of very typical gap year and go to Thailand and sit on a beach um I wanted to do something useful Mm. um and I've always been really bad at languages and um thought I should probably learn a language and I had quite a lot of friends who were uh, Middle Eastern, uh, Arabic. Um, one particular, who's still a very good friend of mine. I met her on a um, kind of debating program that I did in uh, New York a few years before that. And she was Saudi Arabian and um, half English, half Saudi. But I would hang out with her and her friends a lot. They'd all be speaking Arabic. And I was like, I want to know what they're talking about. Mm. So I uh, decided to do an Arabic uh, course. So I did a diploma in Arabic. And I was really interested in the Middle East, passionate about um, Middle Eastern politics at that point um, and so yeah studied Arabic for a year which was amazing 
um, spent quite a lot of time in Egypt um, and then went to university and studied history. I went to LSE um, and studied history and uh, absolutely loved it. And I sort of specialized in Middle Eastern history um, and it was amazing. And so, yeah, That's that was awesome. that was kind of my academic journey. She's forgotten to mention that she got a top academic scholarship. To oh, which she got because of, I mean, really, in the end of the day, it was because of debating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she got amazing grades. She got 100% row levels. And they offered routinely these scholarships that got girls who got those sort of grades, they gave them scholarships. But that was really, that's where debating took her. That's when I knew it was powerful. Right. And just sort of seeing that change in sometimes being bottom of the class or middle of the class, quite average to then actually getting 100% and being top of the class. There's definitely going to be listeners and myself included um, that don't understand much about dyspraxia. Could you go into a little bit more detail of what some of the kind of symptoms are of that? Or Yeah, so I think it's different. Uh, yeah, I don't think it is. It's, that, it's quite different for a lot of people but essentially it's a spatial perception um issue and it manifests in sort of being uh poorly coordinated so falling upstairs uh walking into things which I do quite a lot um clumsy. being quite clumsy but yeah, then but then in terms of like uh the transfer into kind of day-to-day life it can really impact your um performance in kind of quite traditional logical uh subjects so math science um anything which requires you to put things in an order because that's to do with spatial perception um and a lot of people who are dyspraxic can struggle with quite a lot of anxiety because it it affects your ability to process your thoughts Um, and and so that's why debating is so useful because we go we have structures and we have processes that we teach that helps you that help you articulate your arguments and actually those processes can be adopted to your everyday life but also to essay-based subjects and things like that so I think it is different for a lot of people some people Mm -hmm. who are just very very good at maths um not many not many um, basically dyslexia and dyspraxia the mirror image of each other right okay dyspraxia is, you're bad at maths spatial perception you can't tell where things are you can't judge things and of course that's going to make you anxious uh whereas dyslexia is to do with reading and um the spoken word both of them both of them are really superpowers, but mm. they're diagnosed with special educational needs because of the method of teaching that we have in the school. So the teaching method is wrong, not the student. Absolutely. Well, we have such success with all special educational needs, especially dyspraxia and dyslexia, because we teach verbally. And if you can learn verbally and then write and do your written work afterwards, it's not a problem. Absolutely. And obviously, a lot of famous entrepreneurs also suffer with dyslexia. Um, So thank you so much for sharing that, Scarlett. So that's been really interesting to understand a bit more about both of you and your your early sides and actually quite different if you if you think about it. Um, so I'm interested to know more about debate, mate, then where was the inspiration of starting it come from? Well, obviously, I saw the effect that the transformational effect it had on Scarlett. And I was very interested in um, child poverty as an issue in UK society. This was, I suppose, about 12, 15 years ago. And it just struck me, it rang a bell as incongruous that a country as rich as the UK should have such entrenched and deep pockets of child poverty. I couldn't get my head around it Mm. because I came from Australia when my parents were very poor. My dad was very poor. And, you know, all my, you know I, I've done very, really well. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot of social mobility in Australia. And I thought, why, what's going wrong here? Why are kids stuck in poverty, born poor, die poor? One in three children, probably higher than that now, live in poverty. And I thought, well, what's the answer? This is not right. Especially with the, the London I lived in as a barrister, was very wealthy. I said, where are these poor people? Like, I couldn't, I just couldn't leave it alone. And so mm. I just was looking for all the time looking for solutions and answers and how what do we do about this and I knew education was the route because you're not I mean poverty is man-made I mean it's something can be solved Nelson Mm. Mandela was very vocal on that and I'm always inspired by him so that's really where it came from so I thought if if we can I learned that all 
great leaders over the 150 years, past 150 years in the UK, most of them political, social, and business leaders were all debaters. And I thought, well, if we can teach everyone to debate, we've solved the problem, right? QED. So I mm. thought that's what we need to do. And that's when it got really difficult because there was no way of teaching it. Uh, but we we figured out, I figured out a way of teaching it um, in a way that was relevant to young children, inner city kids who had very low levels of literacy and numeracy. A lot of them had really dropped out of school and hadn't mm. uh, over their entire 13, 14, 15 years of life had managed to come out of school without being able to read and write. So we we figured out a program that um, that appealed to them, that was fun to learn and worked really fast. So that's really where we started. So for people that are listening, what has Debate Mate, what is it today then? So Debate Mate is a social business that has a charitable arm and a, and a business arm. So when mum started out Debate Mate, we started off as a charity running debating clubs in schools in areas of high child poverty. Um, so we started off just working in 30 schools in London and we now have nearly 6,000 children who go through wow. the programme in a week. Uh, we have, I think, a last count worked with over 100,000 young people in over 40 countries. It's absolutely amazing. The kids who come through the program are phenomenal and we work in primary and secondary schools and we use university student debaters to, to teach the program. So when mum set up Debate Mate, she, I was a first year student at LSE and uh, was involved in the debating society there. So we use university students, mainly from LSE, to be honest, um, to run the programme. And it's kind of now transformed. We're in eight cities across the UK and it's incredible. Um, and that's our sort of charitable arm, which is Debate Mate Schools. And then we have a business called Debate Mate Limited, which is um, the bit that, that I run. Um, and we have commercialised the sort of offering of the the, the charity, the, the, the methodology that we used to teach kids to debate we've commercialized that and put that into a corporate space because what was happening was we'd bring uh kids in uh to businesses that were supporting the charity so we had were very uh generous support from big banks and law firms and places like deutsche bank and credit suisse and we'd bring kids in uh to these banks and these these places to showcase where the csr budgets were going so we do a lunch mm. and learn or something you know to to sort of showcase to the wider employee pool of the company we were um, being supported by and we bring these kids to do in to do debates and consistently what was happening was senior people within those businesses were seeing our kids debate and they were completely blown away and they'd say that 13 year old is more impactful more articulate more confident than anyone I hired last year can we hire them we're like no they're 13 <laughs> highly illegal um but uh potentially you know we could train your staff to be as good as these kids and what was coming to us was that um young graduates were leaving sort of top universities, Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, MIT, um, with these amazing degrees and a lot of knowledge and technically very capable, but just unable to then translate that knowledge in a kind of way that worked for people who didn't have that same technical background. So the kind of communication skills were, were basically non-existent. And then when we sort of delved deeper into it, we realized that just wasn't just for entry level people, that was like pervading the sort of entire spectrum in a business so um we started off doing some pilots to kind of see if the model worked working with adults as well as it did with kids and it was amazing it worked really really well so we launched a the, the business arm of debate mate which runs communication and leadership training programs and um our first ever client was deloitte we trained the entire audit service line three thousand wow. auditors in the uk yeah it was amazing um i had uh was just about due to start my training contract at a law firm at this point. So I wasn't always gonna work uh, work with Debate Mate. Um, I had was working on the charity and then this opportunity came up and uh, postponed my start date, my law firm by six months. And did that four times before I told them that I actually wasn't wow. gonna be coming. <laughs> um, but then yeah, we set up the, set up the business, um, ran that Deloitte contract, it was phenomenal. They had 100% success, like everyone's recommended our training, which for people, Auditors are literally like professional skeptics, right? They're paid to, to find problems. Mm. Um, and 
they all loved it and we thought we're really onto something here so we set up a separate business and that is what's now called debate mate limited and we run these communication leadership training programs all across the world with huge global businesses and um we are committed as a business to kind of supporting the mission of the charity that um that mum set up so that looks like reinvesting profits back into the charity but we also do loads of work as the business ourselves in terms of working with kind of community groups and um working with people who wouldn't ordinarily be able to access the kind of skills training that we teach because of affordability yeah so yeah that's debate mate we could go on forever but i think that's i love be- it no it's so interesting and i really wish it was around when i was at school because it's definitely the kind of club I would have got involved with. Um, sadly, I didn't learn. <laughs> sadly, I didn't learn about debating until I went to Cambridge, and until I got heavily involved with the Cambridge Union, and actually then watching eighteen, nineteen-year-olds and younger children from around the world debating, and almost then feeling a bit like, I, you know, why wasn't this available to me, and why does it only happen in sort of as you said, these private schools and it behind closed doors. I, I, had I, went... very similar, I had a very similar experience at University of Australia. I was in my first year, so I was 17. And the the Oxford and Cambridge University teams came on, they're on tour. And they came and did a show debate at the university. Absolutely. And I went and I was transported. I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. I thought these people are from a, a, a better world, a different place. The way they were able to speak, it was amazing. It was just amazing. And it just left a lasting impression on me. Definitely. And then also feeling like, how can I be part of that? Now, whilst I never did a floor speech or got involved in any of the debating, was very sort of um, integral in in more of their commercials. We had a lot of key speakers come in. Um, But what I really want to find out is, the fact that obviously, I know Scarlett, you said you've experienced and, and the benefits debating has been for you, but how do you go from then having this idea of I want to create this not-for-profit charity? How do you go about taking something you're obviously passionate about and that you've seen work and, and then starting a charity, Margaret? Well, basically, I uh, I just, you know, I was just curious. I just couldn't put it out of my head. I just thought this is going to be, uh, I have to do this. And um, I, every day I woke up and I thought, just go back and be a barrister and ignore it. And every time I tried to ignore it, come back again stronger and stronger. So I just, I was working with a friend of mine who was involved, at ITV, making a, um, a, a series where she went out every night as a film producer for, uh, for ITV. She went out with the Met Police and filmed community groups in Peckham and sort of Southeast London that were involved in black gun crime. And I I just kept talking to these kids and I'd go Mm. out with them because they wanted a lawyer to come along. And I was just curious. I just, these children just had no hope, no aspirations. Their lives were grim. And I just thought this can't be right. Mm. So I thought I've got, so every, so then I, I met, I knew one of the directors, board members of ITV, and I said, I've just got this idea, you know, but I said, can we have some free office space? Where do we start? And he gave me some office space, gave me four telephones, two computers. And he said, you can have this for six months to come up with the idea. Right. And it was really, that was the method. I just, every time I had an idea, I just thought, well, if we ask people and we'll just keep going until someone says no. And I, that's what I did. I'd, every, I'd meet people and they say, I love this idea. And that's how we got our first funders. That's how we got our first uh, chairman of the board who worked with me on the board, who's ex Goldman Sachs partner and chairman of chief investment officer. Welcome. I mean, these amazing people said, I'll join you. I'll help you. I'll help you. And I had a very clear vision of where it was going to end up, but I had absolutely no idea how I was going to get there. Mm. But we just took a day at a time, a week at a time. And I was always very professional, very methodical, had very high standards. I sort of, having been a lawyer for years, I understood uh, many of the pitfalls of new businesses. I knew where to ask for help. It was just a question of putting one foot after the other. Mm. So you weren't afraid to then talk to your community about the mission that you were on, and by the sounds of it, people were willing to to support that. I know, a lot of people, yeah. But do you know what was funny though? A lot of people that I've known for years, especially in my profession and my family and friends in Australia, they just didn't talk to me again they just cut me off what? I thought I was a bit mad 
Yeah. Really? Tell me about yeah. that then. Really interesting, isn't it? That is really interesting because, yeah. so do they think, mind. why are you, you leaving your barrister work? Or? They thought I'd done amazingly well. I had a great career. And I mean, even my mother said, my mother didn't cut me off. She was wonderful. But she said to me, you know, you don't have poor children in England. Like, why are you doing this? Like, what can I tell my friends? Oh my like, God. I, I mean, people were saying that to me. And um, people, a lot of people, people I know very well saying, you know, but why would you do this? Mm. and I said I don't know I'm just doing it because I feel I have to do it you know I think I My can calling. do it and there's a great sort of philosopher who says if you can do something you have to do it mm. so that was really it and I was curious um as to the sort of people who really I don't have any more contact with because they're not they weren't they they dropped me right um, and again remind us what year did you start and to date, how many young people have you been able to help through the charity? We started properly in 2008. We registered as a charity. Yeah. And we launched as an organisation and a charity the night of the global financial crisis, 2008, October, the night the world ended. You know, we were wow. saying, oh, what are we doing? Launching a charity tonight. But... And, uh, yeah, over 100,000 young people we've worked with in over 40 countries. Um, and through the business, we've worked with uh, nearly 10,000 professionals over the last seven years um, in all across the world globally. And we currently now run programs in English, in Arabic, in Korean, French, German. Um, so, yeah, it truly is a, a global business. Now. But an exciting development is that we've been working uh, with the, the tech accelerator at the University of London. And we're now a tech program so the potential is we can reach millions of children every week now once we've got this up and running so it's exciting amazing and I just wanted to again just back to the early days when Scarlett you mentioned you know trialing this with some places in London how did you get in touch with those schools because there's going to be people listening that want to make that positive change and they you know might know where they're target market is but don't know how to go about reaching them so how were you able to get those initial schools on board through teach first isn't it well basically i knew that i i had to we had to be a grassroots organization i had to be able to get to the kids and i didn't have i didn't have time i didn't want to i didn't want to deal with red tape i didn't want to deal with bureaucracy i didn't want to deal with government officials so i wanted to get straight into the school and i didn't have any contacts so but someone I knew very well it was a law firm I worked with uh, in Canary Wharf they said look we a good friend of mine who, who worked with me at the bar he said we've just launched Teach First um, and their ideal recruit is a university debater so why don't you meet them and they need to offer Teach First teachers have to offer an after-school debate as after school club, any sort of club to their students. So why can't it be a debate club? So we we went in for we get teach first were in the schools and we went in hand in hand with them and set up debate clubs with them. And then just by word of mouth it spread and it took off. So we cut out all the red tape. We didn't have to go through the local authorities. Um, we we spoke directly to the head teachers, got there if they understood what we were doing, our mission and why we were doing it, we were in we were in and we were working with the kids and that's how it developed and that's very much how we go into a new place so when we set up in the us for example we literally just downloaded a list of schools in the south side of chicago and got a list of them and printed out the google maps because uh internet was always a bit dodgy and just literally walked around the schools um right. and if you ever walked around the south side of chicago you'll know that is no mean feat um because even though the distances are not that large, uh, people do not walk around there. Uh, everyone drives and they look at you very strangely. We work in some very <laughs> extreme communities, but yeah. also, but we once we got our reputation up and running, it was fine. We, someone asked me to go to a Rwanda. They said you need to work with the kids from the genocide there because trust is a big issue. The the country needs to rebuild trust, and the children need to trust each other and the mm. adults. And that's one of the things we teach in our program. We teach you know compassion and empathy and and um, confidence and how to sort out your own problems and all of that sort of thing so once we said all right we'll come to Rwanda the word went out so they come to us they contact us and that's very much how we have evolved amazing across, across the globe Japan everywhere China Korea everywhere it's amazing 
That's incredible. And give me an idea of, um, so during one of these debate mate sessions very early on, what will the students be learning? So we break debating down into a set of skills. And um, so for the programmes that we run on the charity, for example, it's basically an after school debate club that runs throughout the academic year. So you start beginning of the year and then you end at the end of end of the year with competitions and each week you learn a different skill uh, so for the first five weeks you don't actually do any formal debating um, you learn how to speak with style you learn how to structure your arguments you learn how to listen you learn okay. how to respond um, but it's all gamified and we have um, through the work we did with the Institute of Education at UCL sort of solidified our, our methodology and our approach which means we can adapt it through to any different context um, but yeah it's all it's all gamified and actually the same activities and exercises that we do with kids so with kind of five-year-olds uh, in schools in East London. Uh, this, that's the same approach that we take when we're working with investment bankers in the city. Uh, mm. It's all um, based on individual learners' experience and how they see the world and the context they have. So a five-year-old might be saying that Elsa is better than Moana and uh, an investment banker might be talking about uh, why one trade theory is better than another, right? Like, it doesn't really matter what the content is, but the approach is 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 the same. Um, so we break debating down into different skill areas. And then um, then once you've done that, then you do a debate. And that, that makes us quite different from a lot of organizations or a lot of people who run debating clubs or do programs in schools. Because when I was at school, debating was taught just by doing debates. Um, which in and of itself is totally overwhelming if you are not someone who is naturally a confident speaker um, mm. and like already excludes so many kinds of learners and so many kinds of young people. And, and um, so we we kind of we do the debate once you've learned the skills and then it's a process of kind of refining, iterating, improving um, and practice. And uh, so the students who do the program on the on the charity, they kind of progress through week on week and the learning compounds. And then we do competitions when we do programs in businesses with professionals. We do a kind of variation of that. A lot of the activities are exactly the same that we do with kids, but obviously just um, adapted for a, for a corporate environment. But we do a combination of kind of skills based work and then um, simulations using debating activities, but also kind of more workplace scenarios. Something your, your, your listeners might be interested in um, is that we teach, but we do teach everybody the same, but we, um, we it is games and it is fun. Yeah. So we, um, we, we reflect the curriculum as much as we can so we find the kids will get start to become interested in school. A lot of kids have dropped out of school or they're truants. Uh, and so they become interested in the school and we went back and they would come back into the classroom and the teachers would say that they they had become outstanding students from kids who wow. really had very low levels of literacy and numeracy and then that the teachers came to us and said can you teach us how to, to teach like you teach the kids so wow. we run teacher training programs as well we run you know a whole lot of different courses that have evolved from from this program I mean, it's it is very powerful and and really very good. And tell me some success. Tell me some success stories of your students. Then, gosh, we've got many, so we many. many, so many. Um, you know, we've got outstanding. I mean, outstanding successes. Like you can't believe it. I was saying to someone very powerful recently who was saying how amazing debate mate is, and I said, "Can you name me one other?" program you know or anything you know that can change your life in five hours like mm. I, I've observed all around the world it doesn't matter what the background of the child is that by week five of our program they've all completely transformed in terms of core confidence once you've got core confidence everything else grows from that and I said you know in five hours you know, that's amazing. And this person said to me, I don't know anything else like that at all. So we have extraordinary cases. I mean, they're extraordinary from young kids who come into the debate clubs who've never spoken in their life. Can you imagine, like, teenage, imagine being parents of a 13 or 14 year old who's never said a word. You've been through every doctor, every medical, every physio, every speech, and they, they're mute. And all of a sudden they enroll themselves in a debate club you have to ask what you know what's going on 
And yeah. then within five hours, they're speaking. And within like a few months, they're up debating, debating, mm. which is, you know, the most, most adults, the thing they fear most in the whole world is speaking in public. And you've got children who have got those sort of learning difficulties doing it. But we have, I mean, it is, it is transformational. And we've got students who go on to do incredible things, like go on to, um, you know, who are moved over, who moved over when they were little refugee families from war-torn countries who go on to Oxford and Cambridge and go on to become doctors and lawyers, um, or who go into work for, you know, the private secretary to the prime minister or whatever. We have loads of those stories and they're incredible, but it's the stories of the, yeah, the kids who were sort of selectively meet who then start speaking or the kids who, whose families, you know, who were very bright, but for a variety of different reasons associated with, um, you know, first world poverty are caught up in crime or caught up in violence. And then they stop committing those crimes and they, they, they perhaps aren't going to go to university. Perhaps that's not the route for them, but they, they are choosing a different path in life. And that's, that's to us, you know, we're not about creating kind of elite students who go on to top universities or top schools that's amazing when that happens it, invariably it happens and we celebrate it but actually it's the students who kind of go on to take control of their life and I think that's what mum was so passionate about mm. and the reason why we use debating as a way of teaching these skills is because the kind of the education system is broken right like you leave school without the ability to uh you know, think critically, to be able to have empathy, to have the ability to speak to people, to be able to listen to people, to be able to... Uh, I'm shaking my head vigorously yeah. in agreement. And, uh, yeah. and it's this set of skills which, you know, in a world where robots can learn faster than us and know yeah. more, that set of skills is what, what sets us apart. And the education system is designed to set young people up for success. And if it's not teaching you those skills, then it is failing you. And so... Mum was inspired to start Debate Mate because of the fact that this skills, this set of skills are so crucial. As she said, it's been producing business and political leaders for generations. I did debating at Transform My Life. She debated for a living. So it was like, well, let's just get all these young people to debate and then they will go off and, and be able to take control of their life. Yes, some of them might go to Oxford, but some of them might just get a job in their local uh, you know, high street shop and start to be able to provide for themselves. We had a wonderful young girl when we first started at a school in North London where we were testing at a very challenged school, very deprived students. And we say to the teachers the children have to come themselves I don't you can't select them you can't they have to walk through that door themselves mm. and this little girl was at the front down syndrome girl and she was she'd stare in for two weeks she'd just come and stare in the door and I'd say you can come in she'd go mm, she'd run off timid and very frightened and then the third week she came back and I said well just come and sit inside so she just sat in and then by the next week she stood up she was very curious about what was going on in the debate, but she stood up with her face to the wall and her back to the room, and she walked all along the wall, not facing it, all along the back, and sat down at the back and listened with her. She was too nervous to face everyone. Oh. But anyway, week six, she turned around, and I said to her, do you want to come up and help me time the debate, be the timer? Yes, so she came up. And in the end, she ended up debating. She was amazing. And I said to her, why, why are you here? Like... If this is so painful for you, yeah. she, said, oh, I love she said, I love it, I love it. I said, why did you come? She says, because my mum says I have to get a job. And when I leave school and there's a job advertised in the local shop down the road, they want someone to come and I want to apply for that job. Mm. But I don't know. Now I can do it. Now I've got the confidence to do it. And she applied for the job and she got it. I'm um, so that to me is, is, is as a bigger success as yeah. a young girl from the East End who was told she'd never amount to anything, she was hopeless, that she should apply to become a dinner lady. Uh, and mm -hmm. in the end, through our programme, you know, Oxford created a place for her, she got an outstanding first, like she's an outstanding, she's got a you know, wonderful career ahead of her. But so these are these are all successes as far as we're concerned. Definitely. And I, um, when I attended, I, I, I agree, I didn't learn any of those skills at school. Uh, it's the confidence I built at home and having an amazing father um, and actually realizing that that isn't not everybody has that, you know, support network at home. Um, and then actually, you know, I learned most of my public speaking from side little um, 
school clubs I got involved with and also then doing a sales job and getting formal training. But when I came to your breakfast meeting and I was hearing, you know, kids as young as sort of six and seven and then, you know, ones that were like 18, I was like, oh my God, I literally have no, I don't have their confidence. And I've stood up in front of thousands of people and spoken, but, you know, so I, I, witnessed it firsthand the confidence that you're putting into um these young people I'm also you've worked with such a phenomenal amount of uh, partners and clients so Goldman Sachs Rolls-Royce you've got Bill Gates talk to me about Bill Gates how did you guys meet him (laughs) we met him he came to us us, yeah so um we were this is the sort of nature of of what we do, we use university students to teach on our program and they are in and of themselves amazing. We call them mentors and they go off and do amazing things and uh, go and work in amazing places. And one of our mentors was working in uh, the communications team for, for Bill Gates. And so that's kind of how that all came around. And we did an incredible event uh, generously uh, paid for by the Gates Foundation um, where we had I think about 300. He wanted us to fill this auditorium yeah. with kids from our program, current kids from our program. So from very high areas of deprivation. So he wanted to talk to them. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we did. And we held a debate. and we did a, 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 a nationwide competition. So we had kids coming down. At that point we were working just in, it was just in Scotland and England. So we weren't in Wales and Northern Ireland at that point, but we had, so it wasn't fully nationwide, but it was outside London. Um, and we had kids come down from Dundee, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, from all the hubs that we were working in at that time to the Royal Academy. Royal Institution. Royal Institution. Very um, amazing uh, venue in Mayfair with sort of tiered seating. And every seat was full uh, in the place. It was incredible. We had um, Ore Duba from Strictly was the chair, uh, was the was the sort of MC, uh, had an amazing judging panel. Emma Thompson. Yeah, Emma Thompson. Thompson. Wow. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely incredible. Jamal Edwards, uh, unfortunately, oh. who passed away last year. Yeah, he was on the judging panel. So an incredible Georgia poet, amazing, amazing group. And um, and then our kids, and we did a we did a debate that he watched, and he had a kind of Q and A with our kids, and he took questions from the floor. From them, and there were no adults allowed to take right. to ask questions. So his his team obviously wanting to, and they're used to like controlling the Q and A, right? Knowing what questions are going to come up, and that was a that was interesting. We kind of had to say just just trust us. Like the kids will ask really good questions. You said they're kids, they're kids. <laughs> yeah, but they debate me. Like do we, they were like, do we need to plant some some questions? Like, no, just trust us. Um and. It was so funny. It was all planned by the minute interval. So like 12.31, the Diet Coke is going to be ready for him backstage. 12.32, he's going to come out and all this kind of stuff, right? And we were just cracking up because we know everything that we do always goes over because the kids are so amazing that whoever's like talking to the kids wants to keep talking to them. Yeah. And you could tell his his poor um, assistant, he was just sitting there looking at the time. It was just going on and on. I was like, I told you the minute intervals weren't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. And obviously, you know, you both a mother and daughter. What is it like working together? It's amazing. Mm, it's not an issue. <laughs> we say that our family business is the oldest business model for a reason. Um, you know, it's it works very well. We are very close. Uh, Mum was a single parent to so raise me by herself. Um, I mean, obviously, that there are dynamics that we have kind of worked on, but it works very well. We know each other very well, obviously. Um, we have we have quite different skills and we we complement each other and also I have two young kids and so being able to have my mum around all the time is just yeah. amazing because it just makes everything so much easier and it's great for me like having been able to work with my daughter who's extremely talented but also to have the babies around is lovely um, no, it's it's it works very well but Scarlett I was a single parent as a barrister so Scarlett went to boarding school from a very mm. young age. 10 so she was away a lot so coming home was always a treat so when she uh, finished school and went to university and we went to business together it wasn't wasn't a case that she wanted to get out and get her get away from home and mm. you know uh, find her find herself she'd been away for quite a while and it's you know debate mates very much a it's a it's a cause that we all everyone who works debate mate feels so strongly about 
I didn't really have an I didn't there wasn't really an option I mean I sort of I never put pressure on you. No, though, you didn't. You didn't. But I, I flirted with the idea of being a lawyer insofar as I got a job. Um, but it was uh, it was just never really... I couldn't leave it. I'm, I'm as passionate about it as mum is because I lived it, mm-hmm. right? And I went through it. And before the business existed, I taught on the charity. And, you know, that everyone who works for us, even on the business, even in the most corporate of settings, if, like the charity is one mentor down and they need someone to run to Dagenham to go and judge a debate. Like any one of us would be there in a heartbeat. You know, it's, it's a cause that's so we're so passionate about. And everybody who gets involved with us shares that vision. Not everyone says yes, but not everyone gets involved, but those who do like the former chairman of our group, like very high flyer at Goldman Sachs. And I knew him very well, but when I started, I said, will you come on the board? He said, yes. Tell me about it. I said, we're teaching. He said, yes, I'll do that. And I said to him afterwards, two years later, I said, why did you say yes? When I realised just how incredibly important he was and busy and so much demand on his time, I said, why did you say yes? And he said, well, he said, you and Goldman Sachs are the only people in this country who understand that the only assets we have in this country are our young people and their ideas. I went, okay. So he said, I knew it was a really good idea. So that was, you know, and I think that's why people love it so much. I love that. And I'm so happy that you're both the first family business that I've interviewed on the, the podcast. So oh, really? Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, just definitely wanted to wanted to ask that question about working together. And how do you both kind of switch off? When's a, you know, because obviously you're running towards term times, but there's obviously a lot of work to then be done all around the year if you've got your your corporate clients as well. So how do you make sure you're making time for yourself? whoever said that was a good thing <laughs> no, but also the a lot of people mom i know people do say that but that's if they're in drudgy sort of dead-end jobs right but where what we do is highly creative right and we're always creating programs and ideas and projects i'm always trying to break through uh norms and try and get around you know trying to create results in a cheaper way so that we can educate as many kids and get as much benefit from people so being creative is great. So what, I mean, it can wear you out. So you have to, I'm very big into meditation and mindfulness, exercise. You know, I've always been athletic. So I, I do regular exercise. I'm very, I'm passionate to the point of almost an obsession about me and all my staff having a balanced life. You work really hard during the working day, but you have to turn off, don't work weekends. Meditation is key. You know, mm-hmm. I think that there are just certain Main, the things that are now mainstream, you know, I've been meditating for years. I go to an ashram in India regularly. And, you know, I and these are these are things that make you mentally and physically and emotionally very strong. Mm. And so turning off, you know, I, I love going to swim in the sea and at the beach. I do, we do those sorts of things. And, you know, we have a lot of social time, like social time together as an organisation and with our friends and family. So... You know, we just live a balanced life. I'd say my life is probably a bit less balanced. I work and I look after my kids and that's literally all I do. Um, but that's okay. Like That's, that's the all season. I've ever done all my life. <laughs> that's Sorry. the season I'm in right now and I'm okay with it. Um, and my, you know, I've got, I haven't got a huge group of friends, but my circle of friends I have are, I've had forever. They're, you know, from school and university and they understand me and they get me and it, you know works really well my husband's amazing and a huge huge support but he also works really long hours so you know we just we make it work my I've started meditating I wasn't always I was always a bit like sort of um a bit suspicious of it but I've started it and okay. I'm really into it I'm really I really see the difference it makes um and I also really believe in like writing things down. I process a lot by writing. And I'm also an obsessive, obsessive uh, Barry's Bootcamp goer. Uh, I love Barry's Bootcamp. Nothing, nothing gets me sorted. Nothing gets my head in the, ga- in the game like an hour uh, with someone shouting at me to go faster. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> I run at the beginner speed of everything. I can't, if anyone ever has been to Barry's, it is just, um, it is an experience I'm really bad at it but I love it um and listening to podcasts so uh I always listen to podcasts when I run when I walk um, and I always say like I don't need to do an MBA because I'm doing my business school of podcasts right now I have a little note app a bit on my phone where I write down all my learnings and uh yeah but it's such an interesting question because I remember when I first started uh, as a barrister working as a barrister and then debate people would always ask me generally say what are your hobbies and I thought mm. 
don't really have any. Like, what is, who has hobbies? It's like people used to say, what are you going to do when you retire? I thought, I'm not going to retire. Like, what, what is the answer to that question? What are your yeah. hobbies? And I just thought, actually, I sat down and thought, I'm a real, I love cooking. I love good food. I love flowers. I love my friends. I love reading. I love, but I do all of That's my life. I don't think that's a hobby. I have a balanced life and I do, that's all part of it. But I don't sort of knit or do tapestry or crosswords or anything like that. But I, my life is my hobby. Just making, making those things part of your life, which again, you know, when you are working crazy hours, actually making sure you're carving out time to make that part of your your healthy lifestyle I also wanted to ask you both kind of COVID must have affected the business quite a bit um how were you able to kind of pivot during that time so you were still were catering and I think we touched upon this with with obviously you were talking about sort of the the tech offering but again just wanted to understand a little bit more about how you were able to still stay connected it happened fast we locked down a week before the country because we saw it coming and um, we had some... Not always saw it coming. We do a lot of work in Asia. And so a everyone, lot of our, was, everyone, everyone was shut down. We were like, right, we should probably shut down. Well, so a lot of our people in Asia were in quarantine. I thought, what's this quarantine for two weeks? Like, what's going on? So in the other, this is inevitable. We have to, let's just go home. And so we were doing some in-person trainings. We were scheduled to do them for a couple of big investment banks. And... Um, we just said, we'll do it online. So we were, we do this online? And they said, yeah. So we just pivoted. We're very flexible. We're a young organisation, very flexible and fluid. And we just thought, right. So we created almost seven programmes online in a week. And we worked right, we were flat out working throughout the whole lockdown. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it's a pretty scary time when everyone, it was awful. And every person that runs a small business in particular, I'm obviously coming at it from the business perspective rather than the charitable side. But, you know, we had, people to pay we had bills to pay and suddenly all our clients are sort of banks professional service firms who are all inundated with getting used to working remotely so we were like okay how are we going to pay our staff in March mm. um and we were able to sort of do a lot of uh, honor the existing trainings we had we put them online and then it was April we we're like right what are we going to do and we realized uh really quickly that all the, the struggle was people were trying to deal with the fact that their kids were at home right they're trying to work mm. and they're trying to entertain their kids and so um we then we had one of the board members, um, she was really struggling. She was like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to manage my team and I've got my two kids at home and they're so disengaged in online school. It's absolute crap. Like they're bored. Then I was like, well, just put them in front of our guys for a bit. We'll figure something out. So we just got some of our mentors and we said, just do something with them on zoom, see if it works. And, uh, they loved it. She called me after. She was like, that was amazing. Like, can we do this? I want to do this twice a week, two hours. I'll get all their friends. So she sent a like WhatsApp group thing around to the mum's WhatsApp group, the kids do at the French school. And like literally within two weeks, we had like, I think probably about hundred kids doing these clubs. And I was like, great. This is how we're going to pay the salaries in April. So we, um, we just kind of launched this new business, which really got us through that first lockdown. And then by that stage, the kind of the corporate side had really started to pick up again so COVID was awful in so many ways and so tragic for so many people but it was transformational for us you know we we with the the digital pivot was amazing we doubled our revenue um you know we've tripled our headcount um we finally have become profitable as a business um and you know the tech the tech evolution has always been something that that we've mum and I have sort of envisioned and knew that would happen, but it was highly accelerated through COVID. Um, and, and during that time, uh, Dubai were hosting World Expo, yes. and they had ninety seven countries there, and they were trying to figure out how they're going to do it in a pandemic. And they asked us to put in a proposal, so we just said we're going to online. We'll hold a competition amongst all our demographics. So our demographic being most deprived communities will run across a competition across the country and we'll take 20 of the best students with us to Dubai who can then highlight and so we were invited we won that part of the uh, pitch and we were invited to Dubai as part of the 100 top businesses from the UK uh, to sh- showcase what we did and we did it and you know, Prince William was there and uh, we did this amazing thing where we had a little booth and we walked around Dubai Expo doing um, uh, question time, didn't we? So we'd like a little parliamentary booth. We'd just stop and get people walking around and we'd do a debate and show them some techniques and ask, get them to Amazing. ask them. It was really fun. Um, so we just, it was, we just winged it. Like we just innovated. Just absolutely rubbing shoulders with all yeah. the best people. <laughs> yeah. And 
I just wondered what advice would you give founders perhaps listening that are really passionate about activism or some a project that you know has a good cause what advice do you have for them to get started just do it passion is essential you've got if you're passionate about something you have to do it but you must have the skills or the people who've got the skills to make the business work we see too many people who flounder and they don't have access to the skills because you've still got to get up every day you've got to pay the bills you've got to fill in all those forms for company towns you know you've got to report back you've got to you know you've got to know what you're doing you've got to understand that you are responsible to other people and that it has to be efficient and you've got staff and you have to bring out like our aim is always to be I want to be one of the best employers in the country so we look after our staff and I look after them in the terms of evaluation and personal development and Mm. and their well-being I mean it's a priority for the business so that's important yeah and I would say when I say just do it I mean I think people kind of overcomplicate things a lot and they're like oh I must have like lots of systems and I must have a three-year plan I must, and like obviously that's all very important and I'm not diminishing what mum's saying it's really important but sometimes you've just got to get started and then you'll see where it goes like had we had an approach for starting debate make where we'd have to go through governments to get into schools we would have been we'd still, still been waiting it. whereas we just yeah. literally every time we want to go into a new area we just pick up the pick up the phone and call the head teacher or you know and you have to be relentless right like you have to charm the uh, the PA because then you never get an appointment with the head teacher but then you go in there and you do it and like if we want to get to a new business we just ask someone like do you know anyone that works here and you have to be focused on your mission your passion yeah and for us in the charity it's the young kids who live in these deprived areas I won't let any red tape or any artificial like authority get in the way I don't I don't we go around the barriers because we've got to get to the kids and in business we think about the company and the employees and what they want to achieve and if yeah. there's a someone putting up a barrier saying no 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 we say no 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 we go around it we get around it another way but focus is very important focus finding people who can help you and just doing it love that thank you guys and so what's next for you both then world domination yeah <laughs> so, sounds I mean, like you're already there <laughs> yeah I mean no, we've got yeah we've got big ambitions I mean it's COVID was obviously really intense and it kind of feels like we're just I mean intense is an understatement but COVID was a very intense period and it feels like we're just kind it of still recovering. is actually we're still getting I mean I think the country and the world is still coming out of it yeah we're just kind of mm-hmm. finding our feet again um obviously we're bigger than we were before um and there's more going on so we're just kind of yeah getting ourselves in position you know there's so much demand for the skills that we teach um the the charity continues to 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 run and is amazing um but we're kind of not trying to we're not growing the charity because we need to find uh a more efficient way to deliver the skills training that we do and technology is the answer and technology is the answer and we've got like we got the government asked me uh 10 years ago to apply to start a school we have a method of teaching and I thought that'd be the craziest thing in the world mm. for us to do. But we did it and took three years and it was amazing experiences like doing a PhD. But we got, you know, we got permission to start a school and mm. the Department for Education said to me, this school has to happen. They said, all education will be done this way. This has to happen. Um, so now we want to do it online. So if we can do an online school that's available to the world, uh, that's amazing. We can offer British curriculum back curriculum but you know there's so there's and these things with technology enabled they're technology enabled they become a lot easier so just starting something like going to start a school like that was that's really hard so we're uh yeah we're fundraising this year we will be kind of launching ourselves as a kind of tech first business um looking to to productize our offering looking at different ways that we can deliver the debate make programs and not just relying on kind of live training um looking at self-paced courses and interactive content and just yeah really seeing how we can use what's going on in technology uh to help us kind of and what's going on with regards to machine learning and ai and education but basically using that to allow us to scale a program which helps humans be better humans also I'm, I'm what i'm doing i was lucky enough to have a couple of sessions with al gore a few years ago and he said well what what are you doing like why are you doing what you're doing I said I want to change the world he said well if you want to change the world it's got to be on tv um so we've had we've done right. one art series and we're now planning another one from America but see if we put that out there people will then come to us wanting it to and grow faster so we're using all our skills and all our know-how um on how really on how to get this out there faster 
Absolutely. And there we go. You get to do your drama. So we full circled. (laughs) Amazing. And the last question I ask all my guests is what do you want to be remembered for? The reason I ask you that is because we haven't exactly picked the easiest path in life. Um, So when it's all said and done, Margaret, what do you want to be remembered for? Just that I made a difference. You know, I've always thought, people used to ask me that when I was a single parent as a barrister, which was quite hard. I said, I just people want people to remember me as a really good mother. Um, That's all I wanted to be remembered for. And I just would like to be remembered for somebody who helped other people change their lives for the better. We've got, and this can be, we can get world peace out of this if if we're clever. Scarlett, what about you? It's a really good question and uh, not to sound like I'm repeating what my mum's saying, but I think for me, it's that, you know, there's, there's other ways to do things. Nothing has to be that, nothing's ever that deep, nothing ever that stressful. You know, you can always find a way to laugh. You can always find a way to find the positives in a situation and actually like kindness and compassion are key to anything you do. Um, And I think if we could be remembered for enabling people to be that that is everything but I think sort of more more practically the sort of the way that the world is structured the way that the world is set up sort of helping people and helping yourself is seen as two different concepts whereas we think that actually they're one of the same like you can't really help yourself unless you're helping others and I think that kind of moving the lens from other and self and actually putting it together I think is is everything and you know we've developed a business model that enables us to run a successful business make money but also help people and I think that should be the way that all business is done um and world peace don't forget world world peace peace, yeah mum always mum always says world peace I have to say something a bit different amazing thank you so much I think what you're doing is incredible I do think the UK education system is flawed and instead of trying to push 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 against the red tape you've as you've said gone completely around it and innovated in a space that hasn't been innovated and has only been preserved for those that could afford to have access to that so yeah I think what you guys are doing amazing I can't wait for world domination and yeah thank you for jumping on the podcast thank you for sliding into my dms thanks for having us <laughs> we so loved you. it have an amazing day see you bye <laughs> A massive thank you to Margaret and Scarlett for joining me this week on the podcast. Um, I just want to thank them for taking the time out and actually the work that they do. Obviously with children going back to school now, these are vital, vital skills that I wish were available when I was growing up. Um, I would have enjoyed and probably really thrived being around other confident, well-spoken Um, students that could really articulate their points and there's even adults that kind of need that training right now Um, so yeah (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed it I also hope it's made you think about maybe causes that you deeply care about and actually the work that you can do to create it into a charity and still have that business element if you wish to do so But again, thank you for listening to today's episode. I will be back next week with another amazing founder showcasing all the wonderful stuff they do. As always, if you do enjoy it, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next week.